in three to five years, we will have a lot of operators that have moved aggressively in this direction. How far they've gone, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on a, on a lot of different things, but I think they will be uh, very far along uh, according to, to, to changing according to these principles. Uh, there will still be a lot of operators that are, you know, straggling behind that are not changing because they don't have the, the, the business drivers to change. They may be too small, they may not have, you know, the Hi and welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield, and this is another in our Transmissions from Tomorrow series. This is where we have subject matter experts from the Ericsson team and Ericsson Digital Services on the show to talk about all the exciting things that are coming up and uh, uh, taking place or trends affecting us in the telecommunications and telco and mobile space. And today I have the pleasure of having uh, Jonas Falconer in the studio with me. Hi, Jonas. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. Now, Jonas, I'm going to introduce you as a senior expert in the Ericsson Digital Services uh, Business Unit, and your role is focusing on application implementation architectures, I understand. Exactly. Now, um, before we get into the detail of exactly what that means, um, and it's a very broad topic, we're going to talk about a whole range of things uh, around things like uh, cloud-native applications and services and how they're different in the telco space uh, when compared to, say, traditional enterprise IT and web scale, uh, what the standards in the telco industry uh, are like around the space and how that is very much a, a bigger challenge, uh, everything from operational support services, business support services, architectures, design principles, a whole bunch of exciting stuff. But before we do that, can we maybe just get to know you a little bit better perhaps? Absolutely. Uh, I'm 44 years old, live in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, I've been working for Ericsson for 19 years, going on 20 years now. Wow. Uh, so quite, quite a while. Uh, I grew up, born in Stockholm as well, uh, moved to uh, Mexico, actually. I started elementary school in Mexico for a couple of years uh, with my family moving there. Uh, then to the U.S. for three years, so I went to... Uh, uh, to elementary school up until sixth grade and fifth grade in uh, in Dallas, Texas, and then back to back to Stockholm and continued high school and college in here in Stockholm. Wow, what an amazing background! Um, well, that explains a number of things in your accent, probably as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a, probably a mish, mishmash of a, a lot of different things, but no, it's great. It's a good international sound. Now, you've got an interesting job title, and when we were talking earlier off there, I was fascinated to hear some of the amazing stuff you're, you're involved in. Um, I'd, be, I'd be very keen to dive into more detail, but before we kick off, what is a day in the life of Jonas like, and what are some of the things you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis currently? What, what is your overall challenge when you think about your role as a senior expert um, inside the Ericsson Digital Services team and focusing on application implementation architectures. For folk who may not have heard that job title or don't have a full understanding of what it means, what does a day in the life for you currently look like? Uh, that's a very good question. I mean, it, it, one day is never like the other. That's, I think, one of the, the fun things about the role that I have. Uh, for sure, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, meetings with customers talking about uh, you know the future, where we're going where we're, and where we're coming from and how we get between the two. Uh, but mostly it's and, and focusing on what do we need to change and how do we need to change our software as we move into the cloud environment. 
Uh, and when I say our software, from an Ericsson perspective, that is, you know, any software application that we have that is either packet core applications, IMS or voice over LTE applications, OSS applications or BSS applications. So uh, I'm basically looking at the full spectrum of the Ericsson portfolio within digital services, uh, which is really exciting. I, I learn something new every single day. Uh, but one of the, the really interesting things is that we see how all of these things come together. And I, and I mean, another thing is, it's it's also you're being exposed to so many different types of applications that you very quickly realize that there's no one size fits all, you know, paradigm for how to do things. Uh, things have to be adapted. So every day is different dependent on what area I'm looking at. Uh, might be, you know, customer meetings asking about uh, what is just interpreting what standards are saying. Or, right. Uh, you know, what what is kind of putting a spin on what's happening in the industry, what does, does for example, what, what we're going to talk about today, cloud native, what does it mean uh, in, in the big picture of things and in, in different areas? So it's extremely varied, a lot of customer discussions, uh, a lot of internal work with our R&D organizations and, and trying to, to find synergies between different parts of our R&D and so on. So it, it's really exciting. It's always something new. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I almost want to put my CV forward and apply for it. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned before, I mean, you've been with Ericsson for, for nearly two decades, uh, which, which is a, an astounding uh, career path. And I think it's very much a trend with uh, the Ericsson team that once people get in, inside the organization and develop a career path that, you know, you, you just keep getting deeper and deeper and stronger and stronger and, and, and more and more experience in building great things. But I mean, Ericsson as an organization, certainly Ericsson Digital Services and, and the Packet Core Networks and so forth, I mean, you've been through this massive digital transformation in your own right, becoming a cloud company, transforming, refactoring all your own code, deploying the OpenStack platform, massive amounts of investment R&D in, in, I guess, uh, enhancements of that cloud platform to, to deliver telco services. And now, from what I understand, you know, you're, you're in the process of effectively converting everything to becoming cloud native and making it run locally in your own cloud and then providing as a service to third, third party clients or partners. With the the whole topic of cloud native, I mean, we we hear it a lot. It's a very it's a, an often used and, and heavily banded around topic. When you meet with clients, as you said, you're doing a lot a lot of talking to clients and also working internally. Whether it's internally with clients, I mean, where do you start when you try to describe what cloud native actually means, particularly in the telco space? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's probably one of the most common questions I get at this point. What does cloud native mean? Uh, and I mean, like like. Like you said, I mean, there's there's have been, there has been a lot of buzz and a lot of hype around cloud native, and it's kind of been hijacked in a number of different areas. So there's a lot of misunderstandings. I think cloud native as such is a very very broad area. It's about the whole transformation. Uh, I would say a cloud native application is about how do you build an application that's purpose built for the cloud environment that that makes use of all of the benefits of cloud in in an optimal way, but also handles the limitations of the cloud in an, in an optimized way. Uh, so that's when you look at the specific application. But for that application to actually, if, for you to get all of the benefits, you also have to look at cloud native transformation and cloud native in other contexts than just the design principles and how you design it. You have to look at <clears throat> how do you do lifecycle management. Uh, so OSS comes into it. And basic operations, soft, how do you deliver software comes into it. So cloud native as such, I would say, is a very broad concept about the whole transformation. Uh, I'd say that this, the debate for our customers and most of the questions has been about the design principles, which is are, they're, they're extremely important. Uh, and there, there's been a lot of hype with, for example, 
you know, we're talking about microservices as being one of these words that pop up when we, when, as soon as you mention cloud native. Containers is another. Stateless architecture is yet another one of these buzzwords that pop up. And, and they all have, they all make sense if you put them together. If you start talking about them individually, it becomes very, it becomes strange quite quickly because they're all interconnected. Right. Uh, but but if I, if I want to summarize, if I should summarize what the cloud native application is, I'd say it, it's an application that is purpose built for the cloud environment to make optimal use of uh, of cloud mechanisms. And I guess underpinning most of that is is sort of this whole new world of of API and software driven instantiation, isn't it? It's, it's you know once upon a time we might have this whole monolithic application stack that it was built and compiled once and run up and and you you know had a, maybe a database backend and some some middleware that ran it and a front end that talked through some service whether it was a you know uh, an interface of some form or an API or, or a web application terminal. These days, when we think about the the types of things you're talking about. Connectivity can come from almost anywhere of any type of any any day of the time, and particularly in telco, because you don't know whether it's a voice call, a data call, a software-defined end-to-end uh, data service, whether it's an FPOS connection or a, you know a virtual uh, private network, or someone just streaming Netflix. Do you? I mean, it's, you've got this infrastructure, and you plan as much as you can, but people are throwing various random services at you at all times of the day, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there are categories of services over the, the over the telco access, for sure. So you can do some form of separation and you can be aware, for example, when we're talking about the voice call like voice over LTE, that is something that is known in a telco environment. Right. Uh, so you know that it's a te- you know that it's a phone call coming in. You know that which applications are going to handle it so you can kind of prepare for it. And this is actually one of the things where you may have a difference between uh, what we traditionally see in the IT web scale enterprise side and in the telco side, there's a larger degree of control over the traffic that actually comes in. You, you're, you're not in control over what's being initiated, but you have some level of control over what you do with the traffic when it comes in. Uh, and this, of course, comes into, comes into play when you start designing your applications, uh, the different types of network applications within the telco space. Where are the biggest challenges? So, when, you know, in the telco space traditionally, we, we've, we, you know, I guess if we go back 15, 10, 15 years, we traditionally thought about routers and switches and servers and, and various, you know, telephony switched infrastructure and then towers and cells. I mean, these days, you know, we still have a bit of infrastructure that stuff runs on, but, but it's fairly generic hardware. Um, I mean, where are the biggest challenges you're seeing now where organizations who've got very big, long-running sunk costs in infrastructure out in the field um, whether they're managing themselves or what you're managing part of it for them, where are some of the biggest challenges in, in not just getting them across this whole challenge of moving towards uh, uh, cloud-native architectures and design principles, but just getting that conversation started as to the, the business benefits and the technology uh, benefits that they're going to face? How, how does that come about? You know, what, sort of, what sort of approach do you take and, and where are the recommendations you're making from Ericsson's point of view with, with a lot of your customers currently? Um, I mean, this this is it's a very good question. I mean, I would say a lot of the challenges that our customers have in this transformation, and, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, most of our customers, the, the telco operators or communication service providers, still have vast majorities of their services running in traditional, you know, legacy physical network functions. Uh, they haven't, you know, pushed the majority of their traffic onto a cloud environment yet. They're in the process of doing that. Uh, and and I, I would say right now, with the, with regards to cloud native, I mean the first step uh, in the in in the telco industry has been to move towards you know work functions virtualization with an NFVI like OpenStack or VMware 
uh, kind of virtualizing your application and, and running them on top of COTS hardware and so on. Uh, that is kind of where we were, what we started in 2014, 2015, from a technology strategy perspective. Uh, I mean, that is something that's happening now. So that's what customers are focusing on. But we're already talking about the next transition where we go from, you know, only virtualized applications into actual cloud native applications, because there's a fairly big difference there in those two steps. Just virtualizing and moving into, for example, an Etsy NFV environment uh, kind of gives you some of the, the, the you know, you, you, you're still managing your applications the same way as when they were physical network functions. You haven't really changed the way you, you, you lifecycle manage the application or the way you look at the application. You're still managing a virtual box. When we move into the next kind of generation of, of this cloud transformation and we move towards cloud native, a lot of those concepts kind of change. Uh, a managed a, a box in the network in the past is what we've called a network element or managed element. When we move all the way into cloud native, the managed element doesn't necessarily correspond to, you know, a, a big monolithic piece piece of code. It could be a combination of many different pieces of software. Uh, so you have much more freedom and flexibility in how you group things into managed elements and 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 to change what you actually see from the administrative and operation side of the operator. And this, these concepts are are, I'd say, is probably one of the biggest challenge. Uh, for for our industry is to kind of understand that we're not locked into the box anymore. Right. And what does that mean? And what possibilities do we get by actually being able to disaggregate the different levels here? And I guess it's also that uh, you know, continuous improvement, continuous development challenge that they've got to get up to speed with as well. Because once upon a time, you might have invested, you know, a five year uh, uh, commercial investment being made into something and it'd be just expected to run for five years and get some sort of return on investment. Nowadays, when we talk about cloud architectures, cloud design, we, we could be iterating you know, in not five years and not even five months, could be five days. Um, when we think about the concept of cloud native in the telco space, um, where are the big differentiations in your world and, and what you're doing with the telco environments and, and infrastructure challenges in comparison to what we might already know about traditional enterprise and web scale? Where are some of the biggest challenges that are different? I mean, it's some obvious ones around, uh, you know, getting a, I guess, as you said, you know, class of service or quality of service where a voice call comes through, it's got to be done quickly. Someone might wait a little bit longer for a web page coming through, Netflix maybe less. Where are you seeing some of the biggest challenges you're having to face now with regard to what cloud native means to implement in the telco space versus traditional enterprise IT and web scale? Uh, again, a very good question. I mean, we have the, uh, the exact, what you mentioned, for example, continuous integration and continuous uh, delivery and deployment. Um, and this is one of the big, big, I mean, differences between a player like, like you mentioned, Netflix, for example, and the player like an operator, our customer or us. Uh, players like Netflix, Uber, and these guys, I mean, they build and operate uh, and, and, and offer their software. They don't have to hand over their software to anybody else. If we look in the telecom space, we have a number of telecom vendors like Ericsson, uh, but we have you know, upwards of uh, probably around 200 operators or carriers around the world, and we have to try to deliver the software to many, many of these. Yeah. So the, the, when we're talking about the kind of the, the IT or web, web scale space, you're very much more talking about continuous integration and continu going directly to continuous deployment into a live network. Uh, when we're talking about the telco industry, we're really more talking about continuous integration is on the vendor side. Continuous delivery is kind of a hybrid between what we do as a vendor and what 
the handover of software into uh, a carrier or an operator. Right. And, and, then, and then you have the continuous deployment, which is actually on the, the telco operator side. So this whole pipeline has to be coordinated across multiple companies. And, and this is a complexity that you don't traditionally see for, for players like Netflix because, I mean, they're building their own software. They're maintaining a limited amount of instances of, of that software. Uh, and they're operating it themselves. So they don't have to hand over and commercialize software the same way we have to do in the telco space. It seems like a, I mean, it's a big challenge they have. And I, I guess when you go from the, the sort of the, the software as a service providers, like the Netflixes or the, you know, the, the Salesforces, as you said, they've got, you know, one domain that basically and it all lands there. But I mean, Ericsson last time I looked is in, in you, know, you operate in about 180 countries. Uh, I won't name how many uh, clients you've got, but it's it's a big number. So you're kind of running multiple, you know, hundreds if not thousands of Netflixes in, in many cases bespoke implementations for very complex uh, architectures and clients. Um, when you deploy these, you've also got to adhere to some fairly uh, stringent uh, sets of standards across the likes of 3GPP from the, from the high end with the likes of, you know, 3, 4 and now 5G. Uh, all the way down to traditional enterprise security for someone that might be doing ISO 27001 security checks. Uh, yep. What are some of the biggest challenges you're facing in that space, particularly in the telco industry, as you think about the, the, the refactoring of code? I mean, you know, from memory, Ericsson's got something like 42,000 patents over the, the various years it's been alive. And many of those patents are in software and hardware and design and infrastructure. There must be some big challenges dealing with the standards requirements of shifting from physical to, to virtual and cloud uh, across so many different spaces and so many industries as well. There is, for sure. And, and the amount of, of kind of industry for us or kind of de facto standardization for us that we need to engage in is one of these challenges. I mean, there's more of them than there has been in the past. In the past, we typically, for a, a, a company like Ericsson, we've been very much driven and we've been driving a lot in 3GPP. And that's kind of dictated a lot of our portfolio and where we're going and how we do things. Uh, now we need to cater for a lot, uh, many more for us. I mean, we need to still, of course, 3GPP is one of our main standardization for us, for sure, that drives, like you said, 5G as one of the big, big areas. Uh, but we also have, of course, Etsy coming in for uh, the, the, the NFEI, the cloud environments. We have, uh, you know, CNCF when it comes to implementation architecture. I think one of the, the, the most important things here uh, to, to get this right is to understand the, the different responsibilities of this, these different standardization for us and not mix them together because this is becoming a problem right now. Uh, I mean, in 3GPP, is what 3GPP does is standardize functional architecture. So it's logical functional architecture. When you see a box in a 3GPP spec, that's not a product. It's not a VNF according to Etsy. It's just a piece of functionality that has a relationship to another piece of functionality. Right. So really, 3GPP doesn't really care about cloud native, for example, which is more focused on how you implement things and how you deploy them in a cloud environment. So uh, what 3GPP does from an architecture perspective is to to a large degree, actually agnostic or orthogonal to what's happening in the, yeah. in in Etsy, in Etsy, for example, with Etsy Mono, with where we have the kind of the deployment perspective and the administrative perspective of how we lifecycle manage workloads, and a workload can be one or more of the functions in 3GPP. So, 
getting a, an understanding of who does what in all of these foras is extremely important. And that's becoming a bit mixed up because of, you know, all of the different concepts coming in. And we're also using very similar terminology and similar concepts on different levels of architecture. Right. So, I mean, we're talking in Kubernetes, we talk about service discovery, right? That's one fundamental thing of a cloud native application and the microservice architecture. Uh, so that and it's an extremely useful tool. But we're also talking about service discovery on network architecture level in 3GPP. So we're using the same terminology and it's the same principle, but they're applied for completely different reasons. One is to handle discovery of internal microservices within a workload or within an application. The other one is to actually do service discovery and topology management for individual applications on a network level. But these become confused, and I think this is one of the big challenges that we have to, to keep track of in standardization and make sure that you know we're not specifying things in one fora that where, where we shouldn't specify it. Because if we start over-specifying, we actually slow down everything. Right, if we yeah. start specifying implementation, for example, I mean, we do not want to tie innovation to the standardization cycle. That would be you know completely detrimental to, to the industry. So we have to be careful here not to over-specify things so that we can't innovate. We have to specify what we need and then let all of the different vendors, our, comp our competitors and ourselves, have to be able to implement things and differentiate and innovate. Remind uh, and I think this is the, the balancing act here is, is, is one of the big challenges. Reminds me of the uh, famous line from Captain Barbosa in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and that it's uh, more guidelines than actual rules. Um, yeah, but uh, and and I guess one of the challenges I mean, you, when you talk about uh, you, you mentioned the, the uh, I guess the um, acronym ETSI. I mean, you're talking about the European Telecommunication Standards Institute, and I mean that's you know it's a regional body in many ways, um, mm -hmm. and then of course there's, there's others around you know Asia Pacific, and there's there's others around the, the Americas and so forth, and they've got their own challenges. And you also talked about uh, another acronym uh, CNCF, uh, which people may not be familiar with. Um, which is the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And each of these have their own, I guess, um, nuances in that they've got areas they're focused in. I mean, CN, the, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, I think it was back in like, what, 2015 or so, and, and it's now part of the Linux Foundation from memory. I mean, they've got a very particular focus on certain things and I guess you know, specifically around the space of Kubernetes and others. And each of these layer, in my experience, don't they? I mean, you kind of, you have to, you start out with different levels of standards and, uh, in many ways, compliance as well to standards, because if someone's working with an, uh, a particular standards group or standards body, uh, if you vary too too greatly out of them, then people look at the design or look at the architecture, and and it doesn't always work when they bolt them together. It reminds me of that there was a um, a famous unfortunate incident where a, a little spaceship was sent to I think it was Jupiter, and uh, or no sorry Mars, and uh, a European team did the uh, the uh, the guidance, and the American team did the propulsion. Uh, of course, the European team did it in kilometres an hour and the American team did it in miles an hour. And this thing uh, went screaming to the surface of the planet of Mars because uh, the math didn't work out. In many ways, yeah, I think exactly. a lot of these standards have to align as closely as you can get them. But at the same time, as you said, you, you can't tie yourself in knots such that innovation becomes stymied, uh, which is probably this never-ending juggle for you. Um, where are you seeing the biggest innovations? Though? I mean, you, you're talking to customers all the time, as you said. You're seeing some very exciting things happen. And I won't mention the name of the, the telco because um, we haven't gotten pre-approved. But there's a very big uh, uh, telco in the Americas, um, particularly South America region, that I spoke to at TM Forum recently, interviewed a couple of their team. 
And they had a similar challenge where they were trying to go through this digital transformation challenge. They were trying to work through the process of uh, transforming to applying cloud-native architectures and design. They weren't really going to be able to do it themselves because they just didn't have the the uh, teams and the skills internally. They came to you guys and Ericsson Digital Services uh, delivered to them in a fairly short period of time. This must be a regular thing you have where organizations come to you and say, look, you know what? Yes, we're a telco. Yes, we've got some great experience in here. We've been doing this for potentially decades. But we're not a cloud-native savvy company yet. We're not fully digitally transformed. Is this the case that a lot of your clients are saying, can you help us get to the next level? Can you help us take the first few steps? Absolutely. I mean, and and of course, there's no, again, no one size fits all here. All the different, all our different customers are very different. Uh, a lot of our customers come and ask us, can you please explain how this works so we can do it ourselves? Uh, that's one approach for, you know, the very, very big uh, telcos, the tier ones, most of them. Others come in and say, well, okay, we give up, give up. We can't get this, our head around this. So will you do it for us? <laughs> so we have a number of different models here, uh, dependent on, I mean, where where the, the customer is starting from. Yeah. Uh, so it, it actually, the, there's all different models. In other cases, they're basically saying, we don't care if it's cloud. You just make sure we have a service that works towards our customers uh, and we'll manage it. We can manage it as a service towards our customer. So there, there's many, many different models, and I think we will see more of these models. I don't think there's going to be one model that takes over because there, there's so many different uh, types of operators and carriers with different profiles, different offerings uh, that, I mean, we're, we're going to have to be able to be flexible here and agile in how we offer uh, our applications to, to our customers. The, this, this to me seems like the biggest challenge of all, and I suspect that you're right in the heart of the storm, and that is, that, as you said, you know, for every customer you've got, you're going to have uh, not so much a, a purely bespoke, but certainly a tailored implementation. Um, and, uh, you know, often I suspect it's not so much the case that clients give up, they just realize it's not commercially sensible for them to try and become, uh, uh, you know, fully cloud capable or whatever themselves, when they can effectively, quote unquote, buy it off the shelf from you. Um it's probably, and we're seeing a lot of this in, in other industries. We've seen it in, you know, the whole software as a service space with CRM and, and other platforms, webmail. It just makes sense that if you have someone like Ericsson and, and, and yourself and your team, if you've already done this, you've written the book on it, you're developing the standards, it, it almost seems like it doesn't make sense for other carriers and operators to try and reinvent the wheel as opposed to what, I'm, what I think I'm seeing out there, which is where they're leveraging your strengths and adding value to that because they don't need to reinvent this wheel. You've already built it and you've been able to deploy it. And in many ways, I see Ericsson have actually treated themselves as their first client because you've gone through digital transformation yourself. You've become a cloud-native cable company yourselves. And now that you're offering that cloud-native uh, capability out to your clients, I think the, the value they've got is adding the magic on top of that as opposed to trying to compete and be the same thing. Um, who you know? Are there are there any examples without necessarily naming them? Are there any examples where you've seen some surprises where companies have come along and thought they could do it themselves, and then made that realization, and then uh, pleasantly found that you can implement it quickly and cost effectively for them, and then they've gone back to focusing on what their core value proposition has been as, as an operator and a carrier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen a number of, of, uh, of carriers and operators that have tried to kind of take on the full integration responsibility to integrate a full, you know, 3GPP system with packet core, voice over LTE uh, and any everything around it and basically said that uh, gave up after a couple of years saying that, well, we can't make this more efficient than it was in the past when we did this cloud transformation. Uh, so and, and this also goes into 
uh, I mean, we have some customers that have said, okay, we'll just get Ericsson, everything from Ericsson and push the responsibility to Ericsson. This is actually what I think is one of the interesting parts of the discussion because dependent on how much you give us as a vendor, the more, the more we deliver to the customer, the more we can take responsibility. Uh, if we deliver one out of 50 applications, of course, we can only take responsibility for that application. It's much harder for us to take responsibility for the full system if it's a multi-vendor system. Right. Uh, we can do that as well, but of course, it becomes more complex and probably not as efficient since for, for natural reasons. I mean, we may not have all of the competence on our competitions, uh, competitors' applications, so we won't be as efficient when we're integrating them. Uh, and, and this becomes a balancing act to, to kind of look at what's the best possible balance for the customer, and that's for actually for them to decide. But we have seen a number of, of big uh, operators that have tried to do this, you know, pick from t 10 to 15 different vendors and then integrate everything in a cloud environment themselves. And we haven't seen a lot of success rates there. But there was, the success rate has been quite low. So I think we need to be look at more integrated solutions and larger, I mean, larger pieces uh, that are pre-integrated to make this efficient over time. Well, we've definitely seen, uh, I mean, you know, I've personally had 35 plus years of, of, I guess, being in traditional enterprise and, and, and certainly spaces like banking, wealth management, insurance and finance. And it's always been the case that the organization and, 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 and maybe a CIO or whomever um, wants to take it on, wants full control, wants full ownership, sets out with all the best intentions only need to find that they are a bank trying to be an IT shop and they should yeah. try and be less an IT shop, more of a bank. And, you know, and I've been on those, I've been on many of those journeys where we sit there thinking, we can do this, this doesn't seem so big. And then all of a sudden you get three years into it and realize that you've stopped being a bank and you're now an IT shop. I imagine it's, it's you know, it's, it's got to be a thousandfold more challenging in the telco space because of the nature of the business you're in and, and the, you know, always on and the, the five nines availability you have to live within. Um, your overall role, like what's fascinating to me is when we think about when we think about what it means as far as you know the application implementation architecture piece that you focus on. Um, that seems to me like it, it, it goes the full gamut, the full depth of everything. I mean, you, when you think about this, I, is it fair to say that you're thinking about it from the business architecture side of things with the integration in, and the implementation of how the business services, whether it's uh, operational support services or business support services or some of the other things at the highest level and highest function of service delivery to the consumer goes, all the way down to literally the, the foundational platform at the cloud platform, whether it's you know VMware or OpenStack or some other thing. That, that seems to be a very deep and broad-reaching role. I mean, uh, um, the, you know... <laughs> How does one take on that sort of challenge to still maintain sort of you know momentum and focus? It, it seems a very deep, broad role. Yeah, and it is. You're right. I mean, and and that I think is it's actually what the role is. It's trying to understand uh, from the you know the lowest level how does x86 architecture impact software architecture, and how does the software architecture get impacted by requirements coming from the business side and trying to kind of filter all of this together. So it's not just integrating, you know, applications on, on the horizontal level, how an MME talks to P Gateway and Packet Core, but it's actually the vertical integration, which is much more important for my role. Uh, looking at how do we build efficient software that's running on, uh, on a specific or any type of infrastructure as a service environment on top of any type of x86 hardware. And how does that relate and convert into business for our customers? How do we make this more efficient for our customers? How do we increase automation? So it's actually the full vertical stack from business requirements at the top end all the way down to, you know, bits and bytes and even hardware in some cases. 
So it, 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 and, and I think that is the challenge. That is the actual job, trying to tie all of these levels together uh, and, and create a big picture out of it. No, it's a fascinating challenge. I imagine that you've got to have a, a lot of very good people skills and communication skills and listening skills at the same time, communication skills to convey information. Um, tell me a bit more about the juggle that you're seeing out there with regard to, I mean, you know, obviously when we think about cloud native and cloud design patterns and architectures, a lot of the time we're thinking about things that underpin that, not just the architecture, but the lifecycle management, uh, some of the infrastructure designs and design patterns, and, and probably in your case, I imagine, uh, uh, reference architectures that you're constantly fine-tuning and trying to repeat, and you've probably got partners with various pieces of hardware that try to get you to work with their reference architectures. Um, where, where do you draw the line as to, because I imagine there's a reality check from the business point of view as to how much do you need to do today to get a business outcome and monetize something uh, versus this whole life cycle management piece of um, version one does a job and gets me a, a minimum viable product that makes money versus the ideal scenario where version 3.5 is Nirvana. That must be an interesting challenge as well, sort of juggling between what the customers are wanting you to do to get something implemented quickly and running versus what's safe, secure, stable, and scalable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, and, and I think this also comes back to a little bit about what we talked about earlier with, with continuous integration and continuous delivery. I mean, the, the, our customers today, uh, as a whole, are basically geared up to get you know, one or two software releases per year. Something like that. It, it varies. Some are take more releases. Some take even fewer releases. Uh, but if we're really going to get to all of the benefits that we see with cloud-native technologies, I mean, we have to be able to move to, to real continuous in- integration and continuous delivery, where you actually take the latest version of a microservice. Uh, because if you don't, then you, you you actually miss a lot of the values. If you take two releases per year, it's going to be much more expensive and and, and take much more time to do things like in-service upgrade. If you take every small piece when they pop up, uh, I mean, every increment becomes very small and very cheap and very easy. If you wait until you've collected, you know, hundreds of microservices that need updating, that process becomes much more complex. Uh, so I think we need to kind of move from the, the, the type of telco release software release management we've had in the past and really aggressively move towards a more real continuous integration and continuous delivery. This is also how we can become more efficient as an industry because when we have very few releases and we have, like you mentioned, I mean, we have hundreds of customers maybe taking the same product. If they're all on different releases, it becomes a cost for us that we have to pass on to our customers. So if we can, you know, everybody's on the latest software, we can actually make things simpler and more cost efficient. So this is absolutely one of the biggest challenges is how do we operate this from a software delivery perspective? Uh, but then there's also the mindset that we talked about with regards to, for example, automation and, and OSS. Uh, if we look at what's coming out the network functions virtualization with Etsy Mono, for example, in these types of standards, it's very much focused on automation and orchestration happening at the administrative level with an OSS, with an NFVO, NFE orchestrator, and so on. Uh, what I think we have to do and what Cloud Native aims to do is to some degree to delegate responsibilities for lifecycle management and automation. Uh, this is one of what I think is one of the key strengths of moving towards something like a container as a service environment like Kubernetes, where you actually delegate the responsibility for things like autoscaling of an application of the individual microservices. That is delegated to Kubernetes. The, the, the administrative system of the operator or the architecture doesn't really have to care about that anymore. So we're offloading 
some complexity from the administ administrative view. And it's become something that you don't have to worry about. This type of delegation of automation responsibility, I think, is key moving forward. I mean, we need to do this not only towards, you know, delegate responsibilities to things like the cloud infrastructure with Kubernetes, but also to network architecture in 3GPP. Uh, like I mentioned, getting service discovery mechanisms, which we have introduced, for example, for the 5G core, uh, in, with the new specifications for 5G core, we've introduced that so that you don't really need to do configuration of interfaces between applications anymore. That's automated in the architecture. Uh, this is something we have to do for legacy applications and architectures as well if we want to carry them you know, into the cloud-native world. I guess from a business point of view, I mean, there's a lot for people to consume when they think about this whole process because, as you said, they may be used to deploying two, maybe three releases of things from from very monolithic architectures and designs and vendors, whereas now, you know, potentially you could be rolling out two or three things a day. Uh, I guess one of the upsides to this approach is that um, we hear the fail on fail fast concept uh, in, in, I guess, the unicorn space and in, in traditional startups. But when we think about microservices, as you said, if you've dockerized something, if you've containerized it and it's rolling out in a, in a Kubernetes cluster, if something does go wrong, you can roll back quickly. You can roll out new features and, and go through that development and, and then testing implementation process quickly. And when you do push it out into production, it's already been through a fairly rigorous process to make sure that it's stable and secure and tried and tested. And you don't have to reboot everything. It just literally becomes the next instantiation, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people haven't always gotten their head around that, you know, if you've got a, a cluster of, of Docker containers running in Kubernetes of maybe three or 400 of these instances, the very next call that comes through gets the next release and runs with it. And if there's an issue, the system can automatically detect it and fail back to the previous release. And I think this is where the scale becomes possible, as you said, with auto-scaling, uh, with the self-healing networks, network function virtualization, recognizing that it's, it's, it's got issues and rolling back. This, to me, seems to where we get to the point where the intelligence comes back into the network. We see, like, you know, the internet with um, border gateway protocol and, and DNS essentially man manages itself with, you know, self-healing routing and whatnot. I imagine that's kind of nirvana for you where the network's intelligent. You can deploy new features quickly. They are containerized. They run in Kubernetes clusters. They are orchestrated and they're self-healing so that you can focus on the development and the design and know that the orchestration will take care of itself to a certain point. Um, are we at that stage yet, or, or is that kind of still a, a, a ne another generation down the path yet, as far as what's capable? No, I, I'm, I mean, if we take the 5G core as an example, this is something we are releasing this year. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the exact date, but I believe it's uh, the first uh, customer deliveries of 5G core is in Q2 this year, uh, and in large you know, general availability by the, the, the later half of this year. Uh, these the systems, the complete 5G core system is built as, built as a cloud-native application running on containers and utilizing Kubernetes from day one. Wow. Uh, so this is, this is very much, you know, the reality of what we're building day-to-day -day right now. Uh, there is kind of a, a gap here right now. I think most, uh, the, 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 when we look at the customer ba our customer base today, uh, most customers don't have a Kubernetes-based environment. I mean, this is something that that uh, needs to kind of we need to kind of accelerate the the NFVI evolution, if you will, to start introducing uh, things like container as a service environments, Kubernetes-based uh, container as a service environments, uh, because without them, I mean, talking about cloud native and then not utilizing the cloud native type of infrastructure tools, you will not get where you need to go. 
Yeah, yeah. So we and and this is another one of the challenges. I mean, we need to time all of these changes on the you know the evolution of the net the, cl the cloud infrastructure that has to kind of happen. Then we have to have the evolution of the applications that has to, has to be done in parallel, and then it's the evolution of uh, you know OSS and uh, the uh, the the orchestration lifecycle management architectures that also have to this has to be done in all of these different areas and it has to be done in step. So I think this is one of the complexities that we're that we're working with in the industry right now to kind of get a handle on making sure that we have all of these things in place when they're needed and also helping our customers to put them in place so that they can get the benefits out when they introduce or deploy a cloud native application they can actually get the benefits from it because they've they've up, kind of upgraded the way they they're they're operating the systems and their infrastructures and so on. It's like the ultimate juggling act, I imagine, and uh, and absolutely, and, and in real time, it's a time. huge challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge um, challenge. No, I take my hat off to. Uh, maybe I'll take my CV off the table now. I'm I'm kind of concerned that I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't qualify for the job. Uh, there's two two observations with that that I'll throw in, and that I've got a, an interesting challenge for you before we wrap up with regard to where we're going in the future, and that is that I'm seeing a big trend now where in the enterprise space and certainly financial services where there's consumer-driven uh, disruption. A lot of organizations like banks, for example, are being disrupted by their own customers. I imagine telcos are no different, that uh, customers can churn very quickly. It's, you know, everything's at the, the, the click of a finger and it's on a smartphone with an app and churning from one telco to, to another is relatively straightforward, even if you're on a contract. Um, is there a, a, a fine balance now between the um, improvement and implementation of new services driven by the operators and telcos themselves and asking you to be able to do great things uh, in balance with the consumer-driven demand for new services and products and, 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 and classes of service pricing points, you know, whether it's a, a data-heavy plan or whether it's a voice-heavy plan or, you know, we see the trend people walking around now just FaceTiming all day. That, that must just be punishing to a telco network. Is there a balance between that consumer-driven disruption versus the self-driven disruption that telcos are trying to implement themselves? Uh, I think there is. They're, they're, to some extent, I mean, they're more disconnected than they should be at this point. Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of the the, uh, the kind of the disruption and, and change that the operators are pushing for is very much driven by efficiency and, and you know, total cost of ownership at this point. It's not really connected to uh, a lot, of, you know, the drive, the actual requirements from their customers. Right. Uh, so the... I think we need to connect this more and more to actually make sure that we that we are building systems with lower total cost of ownership. Uh, in order to do that, we need to know what we're building for. So we need to connect both of these sides, like you say, much more than than what we see happening today. Uh, so that's another one of the challenges that that we have to meet. But I think there's there's before we get to the point where these are completely connected, uh, there's so many things that that kind of have to evolve. Uh, within the operator space. Uh, but we're getting to a point where we need to start, absolutely need to start talking about it and understanding where we're going. And this is why, I mean, we as Ericsson, we have a lot of discussions with, you know, terminal vendors and, and players like, you know, Apple and Google and others to, to kind of keep on, keep track with on what's going on and what, what will the world look like when we get this technology out the door. So we, we you know, we're not completely reactive. Uh, we try to be proactive in in these architectures and these changes. No, it's a it's a heady challenge, and as you said, uh, that you know some of the very large organisations as operators and telcos you're working with as as partners and customers. I mean, they're still going through an evolutionary uh, development process themselves, from physical to virtual and virtual to to I guess cloud native. 
that's going yep. to happen. They've also got to get some of the commercial realities and that you can only invest so much money in these things to get innovation before you've got to stop and take it a break and catch a breath and get an ROI and that and then reinvest. And then also you've got the market disruption and I guess a never-ending change of of demand for different services. And, and you know, we're, we're still really thinking about the impact of smartphones, I guess, in many ways. But, you know, IoTs here, autonomous things are here and it's, you know, it's only going to get worse. And when 5G becomes a, a global reality and things are faster and leaner and keener and network slicing kicks in, my mind just boggles. Um, well, you've given us some great insights there. Now, before we wrap up, because I've taken a lot of your time, I, I really appreciate some of the amazing insights you've shared there, certainly around the, the differentiation of the, the challenges in the telco part of the cloud native focus versus traditional enterprise that we've known a bit better. I'd love to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a minute and and, and ponder, you know, next three to five years, because I mean, telco is a big space. It takes a while to turn around. Um, where are we going to be in the next three to five years in the space? I mean, are carriers and operators going to be at the state we want them to be where we can do this sort of CICD rapid implementation of new things and respond to market demand? Or is it going to take a little bit longer? What's your own sense of where we're going to be in three to five years uh, as far as what's over the horizon? What's your gut feel? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's like you said, that this industry is it's like kind of steering one of these oil tankers, right? It takes a while to change direction. Uh, I think that we will see in three to five years, we will have a lot of operators that have moved aggressively in this direction. How far they've gone, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it depends on a, on a lot of different things, but I think they will be uh, very far along uh, according to, to, to changing according to these principles. Uh, there will still be a lot of operators that are, you know, straggling behind that are not changing because they don't have the, the the business drivers to change they may be too small they may not have you know the 50 different services that they want the common infrastructure for they may be focused on just providing a really good voice service like a tier three operator or something in the in the in, in south america or africa or something like that uh and and they will not have the same needs so we will see a diverse Customers with very different systems, uh, and this is one of the one of the challenges for for the telecom vendors is to make sure we build software systems that can actually that that can live in in, in both of these environments, uh, and that is definitely possible. Uh, so I, I think we will see some serious adoption. Uh, I think operators will start moving, more, become more and more agile. For in three to five years, we will see a big difference. I think a lot of the focus will be on automation. Uh, and I think we will see, uh, you know, the delegation of, of automation responsibilities will will be, have become much more understood. We will see the the kind of the effects of that. We will see network architectures that are more automated out of the box that don't require a lot of of automation capabilities on the outside. Uh, and we will see, you know, to a large degree, much more. Uh, intelligent systems i mean we will see machine learning we're already starting to see and use machine learning algorithms to optimize networks Uh, i mean the concept of for example self-dimensioning network i think will be in place in three to five years uh, where you just deploy the different applications required to set up your total system and they all just dimension themselves based on the traffic that's coming into your network that is something I think we will definitely see in three to five years, which is is going to be really interesting. I mean, today, a lot of time is spent in dimensioning an operator network, by both from the vendor side and also by the operator to make sure that they have enough capacity in every application 
uh, to handle the different types of traffic models. I think that is something that will go away, where you just deploy the application images, and then you have scaling mechanisms that are fast enough and intelligent enough to actually and actually do does does predicting of what will happen, so that we will have completely self-dimensioning networks in in up to five years. I think that that will happen for sure. Well, I'd at certainly least I hope. At least I hope it will. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I have it on good authority from uh, your associates like Neil Lilly, who uh, heads up the, um, uh, the intelligence space of the network assurance in, in North America, uh, and, and certainly talking to uh, Marc uh, Antoine uh, Botin, who's the VP in product management, head of Cenex, who you've recently acquired in, in, and been working with for over a decade around uh, uh, network intelligence. That, that, that's something they're already delivering, they've been doing for over a decade. And, and so I think you're absolutely on the money there that the network's going to get smarter, the code's going to get smarter, uh, and it's going to move faster. And I, I think, if anything, one of the – well, two of the key takeaways you've given me today more than anything, which I think our listeners will pick on is pick up on, is things are going to move faster, deployment's going to get easier and, and, and smoother and quicker, and it's going to become more cost-effective, which I think is going to make exciting things possible, as you just alluded to, uh, because it'll cost less to dev- design and implement new capabilities, uh, and it'll take less time to do that. And you know, I think this is this is where the consumers now are going to benefit massively from lower cost services and more rapidly implemented improvements on services, depending on whether it's an autonomous car or whether it's a smartphone or you know watching Netflix or whatever. Um, well, Jonas, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and thank you so much for making time to catch up with me. I, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and I, I hope to have you back on the show again soon. Absolutely, anytime. It's been a pleasure, Des.